I was very concerned it was going to be a learning curve because what I was told by multiple other breeders was um, the American Molossus is way more challenging than most dogs. They can't deliver natural. Um, they're not good moms and a lot of different stuff. Um, I went ahead and I followed my gut with Safira despite a lot of backlash and I let her deliver natural. She delivered 10 puppies naturally, no problems. Um, it was a different kind of whelping that I had never been through before. Um, she stood up to deliver. You know, most dogs lay down and they deliver. Every time she delivered a puppy, she would stand up. I would catch the puppy. Her and I would do teamwork to get the bag off. Safira did great. She, her natural mothering instincts kicked in. She was phenomenal. Um, I was told they can't nurse, that they, they're not very good about not stepping on their own babies, um, which that is sometimes a problem in the giant breeds. They're so big, they accidentally step on and, and smush their babies. Again, I got really lucky with Safira. She was phenomenal. Uh, she did everything that any of my other breeds have ever done. I left her in charge of her puppies. She cleaned them, cared for them, nursed them. She did everything. She would have to go out. She would go out. She would go potty. She would come back in. She was very gentle and delicate when she would come in. Um, again, it was my first litter. Does that mean my next female is going to be as smooth and easy? You never know. And that's just a a common within every dog. Mm -hmm. You have some moms who are awesome and some moms who aren't. And um, so Safira did great. And I, the whelping process was really good and easy. All 10 puppies um, survived every aspect of life. They're still doing good. They were all really strong, healthy puppies um, that were even pretty functional little guys as puppies out playing and moving. And again, that's something I do different than everybody else in the American molasses community. I let my puppies be puppies. Most people kind of keep them in. And, and I think that's just because these dogs are incredibly valuable. And it's a lot to get a litter of puppies. It takes a lot of work. And so most people are kind of like, okay, you're inside and you don't really come outside and you stay in your area and you play and that's it. Um, where my puppies were in and out playing when they were old enough they were going outside and running and playing and and being puppies so for me the whelping process went pretty traditional to what I've done my entire life mm -hmm. so yeah there's there, there's a good difference there so like my Aussie puppies are six weeks old tearing into stuff getting into stuff like busy 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 bodies mm -hmm. uh and they're able to move different than the giant breeds, jump in and out of things. With these giant breed puppies, you do have to be way more cautious and careful of their bones and joints, especially while they're while they're young. So in that regards, I did a, a whelping box different than I normally do. I didn't have any steps to my whelping box because I didn't want them like falling out of the box and hurting a leg. So everything was more flat in that regards. The whole process almost from six weeks to eight weeks was different for me um, because with 
with every other dog I've ever had, by six and eight weeks, you're not quite having to worry about feeding them as often. Um, and even, even with the other dogs, mom still usually is pretty good nursing up until seven weeks with these giant dogs, because they do grow so fast, you have to start supplementing in nails for mom. Uh, And with Safira, 10 puppies, that's a lot of puppies in general, Mm -hmm. but 10 puppies, it, it was taking a lot out of her. So four weeks I started supplementing where I wouldn't start supplementing until six or seven weeks with any other dog and, and supplementing bottle feeding, not bottle feeding, um, formula feeding them. So giving them a little bowl to lap up the formula. And then by five weeks I started doing mush to just help them get a little further. Again, with the Aussies, I don't even do that till six or seven weeks of age. Cause they're doing pretty good. Um, and then the amount of food that those guys go through was insane. Uh, I was going through 70 pounds of dog food a week Hmm. for 10 puppies. And, um, I am a firm believer in like good quality dog food for these guys, especially what they're supposed to be eating. Mm So my guys are fed the Royal Kingdom giant breed puppy food because there's like one giant breed puppy food out there, mm-hmm. which is Royal Canaan. And then um, I did a substitute of Purina large breed puppy in there as well. Um, and, and the eating, the eating was a lot. And, you know, most puppies, a couple of meals a day from six to eight weeks, they're good. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, maybe a snack in there. Um, these giant breeds were still on a pretty much three-hour rotation up until about seven weeks, at which point they finally could go four hours without eating. Um, so that that was new, and that was completely different. The mentality of the puppies i'm used to litter box and potty training puppies um these guys were a little bit harder to litter box train than any other dogs um but they got it it took longer but they got it and with the giant breed dogs you have to understand their developmental stages and markers are different than your normal dog because they do take longer to mature, they're at a slower pace. So I was expecting X, Y, and Z, which my Aussies and everything else had done. And these guys were week behind. It was just kind of, okay, this is how you guys are. You guys do grow slower. You're not up and moving as fast as everybody else. My Aussie puppies are getting in trouble at three weeks old. These guys weren't really moving or doing anything until four and a half weeks. Um, so there is a difference between giants and like large breed, small breed dogs when it comes to developmental markers on these puppies. That is definitely an issue that I have seen in the breed as well, Um, pushing too much too fast, and that's in regards to a lot of things, Um, but definitely with the weight and the development, these guys 
in doing research with the neos and the english and just giant breeds in general you know there's always a consistent saying of let them grow slowly Mm -hmm. let them mature at the rate they need to um a lot of different breeders are just kind of trying to pack on the pounds and supplementing them more than what should probably be occurring. Um, puppies should be on a puppy diet, not fed an extreme athlete dog food. Um, that's kind of like giving a kid steroids and thinking that by the time the six-year-old's 15, he's going to be a normal 15-year-old. It's it's not okay. It can't happen. So making sure that these guys are just taking their time to grow um, and mature appropriately, that is an issue. Um, there are supplements being given to the American Molasses. You know, a puppy shouldn't need to be on formula past like 10 weeks is kind of pushing it to continue to have them on formula uh, there is a general idea that these dogs should be on formula or milk replacer, lamb replacer, goat replacer, whatever you, whichever one, until they're two. And again, that's just kind of, it's causing dogs to grow too much too fast. And with a, a breed that is already predispositioned to hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia, joint problems, um, it's not a good combination. Well, um, same thing as I did with my puppies. I like the Royal Canin Giant Breed dog food. I also like the Purina Pro Plan Focus. Um, I've gone through multiple different dog foods trying to kind of play around and see what I thought would be good for these guys because they do grow pretty fast um and my mom's tried some stuff and i've tried some stuff but it seems like the royal canaan in conjunction with the purina pro plan has been a really good diet for mine um there are other breeders that have their dogs on a, a raw diet and i commend them um i'll be honest i'm lazy that's too, that's too much work to feed a giant dog a raw diet that's like 30 pounds of meat a day I have a very, very busy life, and uh, cooking for my family is a lot. Right. Then having to come in and uh, cook for a bunch of giants, yeah, um, I do dog food. I do sometimes add, like, canned wet food in there, mm-hmm. uh, the Purina venison, mm-hmm. just to give them a little extra treat. But other than that, mine stay on kibble. And they stay on the kibble as recommended for giant breeds. That is one thing I, I love about Royal Canaan is Royal Canaan puts a lot of science behind their food and research. And they, they're constantly growing and expanding and learning with the Royal Canaan. And so these giant breed formulas are made for giants. And so it helps them grow. And, you know, most puppies large breed you're taking them off of a puppy food at about a year and you transition them to adult royal canaan actually has a junior dog food which is because again giants grow slower so you have your puppy food you feed up to 15 months and then they have a junior that you feed up until they're two which is then at that point in time you can do the adult food um and and i love their program 
So that is a great question. Technically, you know, hips, unless you're doing pin hip, pin hip can be done from six months up because of their methods. Um, but if you're doing OFAs, two is the age that you have to be to have your hips done. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing OFAs on your dogs, you shouldn't be breeding until they're two because you haven't had their hips checked until then. I mean, if you do the pin hip, then you're okay sooner but still at that with these giant breeds um, maturity levels take longer so breeding before they're 15 or 16 months um, like should not be happening Um, and even with the females again you know second third cycle 15 16 months to two years depending on what protocols you're following with your hips so if I was mentoring you, I would tell you to do the pin hip because I like the accuracy of pin hip a little bit more. Um, people can make errors. It's a machine. So at that point in time, I would say do your pin hips. Make sure you're good. Do your pre- preliminary OSAs on your elbows and then breed at 16 mm-hmm. or older. And then would you suggest to get the OFA at two years as well? Yes. So not on your hips because you've done your pin hip, Mm -hmm. um, but I would say do your preliminary OFAs on your elbows Mm -hmm. as long as your elbows check out. Then at two, you need to do your official certification. Okay. Mm -hmm. So pretty much a similar situation, Mm -hmm. but you should not be breeding your female before her second heat cycle. Third cycles are best on these giants. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's nothing before a second heat cycle. I think that that one all depends. Of course, always working with your vet. Uh, I don't believe that you should breed a female back to back to back to back to back to back. Okay. So if you breed her the first time and everything's good, your vet says it's clear to do another breeding her next cycle. As long as your vet feels it's appropriate, you can breed the next cycle, but then your female needs to take a year or more off. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't want to go that route, then you need to breed once a year. That's it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Breeding back to back to back to back is not okay on any dog. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you are going to do a back to back to back, then that third one better be the last one you do. You shouldn't do more than that that's not fair to your female it's just way too hard on their bodies and um like Safira, we are puppies are now 16 weeks almost and she's still not back to par um we're still working on trying to get all her weight and everything back to post baby weight um because like i said 10 puppies was a lot and it took a lot out of her mm-hmm. and so um I had questioned if I should breed her on her next heat cycle and then give her time off. But with her, because of her health, there's no way I would do it to her. She's, she's not in top quality condition and that's not fair. So for her, it will be, you're going to, when you're in quality condition again, whether that's one year from now or two years from now, that will be when you're bred. Yeah. So if you're doing C-sections, you should only be doing three litters. Um, it is not healthy for a female dog to have more than three C-sections. And mm-hmm. most vets won't even do another C-section mm-hmm. on you if it's past a third one. 
if your female's delivering natural and doing what she's supposed to be doing, um, you know, not breeding past five in these guys, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, just because again, they're giants and they become a senior sooner. They take longer to mature and become a senior sooner, mm-hmm. sooner. So not breeding past five, but if you are doing C-sections on your dog, no more than three. And so with the molasses based on time, I mean, you're only really truly going to get three, maybe four litters anyhow, if you wait for the appropriate time for them to mature and do all your health testing and then you retire them by five, you're, you're only getting three, maybe four, if even that litters anyhow. Mm-hmm. You know, I get that question a lot, and it's a good one. These guys, the easiest way for me to compare it is it's kind of like an easy keeper course. Once they finally do hit their maturity, they're pretty easy to keep even. Um, as they're growing, they eat a lot. Uh, so right now I have a puppy that I kept back from this litter that I'm training and he eats, uh, seven cups a day at this point in time for a little 15 week old puppy. Um, whereas my adults only eat seven cups a day and the little guy's probably going to get bumped up to eight here soon. Mm -hmm. Um, but my adults are pretty even, so they stick at that seven to eight cups a day. And again, if you have a really good quality food that's doing what it's supposed to be doing, Mm um, I mean, seven or eight cups should sustain a giant. Um, because even most labs eat five or six cups a day. Um, but good food is key. These guys like to nap a lot. So they're not out running like a lab who needs food constantly to keep them um, up to weight. Uh, these guys kind of run and play for maybe an hour and then they sleep for three or four hours and then play for another hour. So they're not burning off the calories like other dogs who are super active. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't take as much to sustain. Up until they're sustainable, yeah, you're feeding a decent amount. Puppies can eat 8 to 10 cups up until they're a year or more. Mm-hmm. My puppies eat three to four times a day, um, just kind of depending if they've been out playing. Then I bring them in. I give them a little extra snack uh, to help keep up. But my adult dogs, they only eat twice a day, breakfast and dinner. Mm-hmm. This is where my trainer brain comes in because I love sports and I love sport dog stuff. Uh, So I would really love to be able to see the American Molossus out there competing in, um, you know, rally, obedience. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to win. They're not fast. Their sits are not going to be butts on the ground in 2.5 seconds. Um, They take their time. But they're really smart dogs, and they're really willing to work. So I'd love to see them out there doing obedience and doing rally. Um, Of course, they're way too big to do agility. One sport that I really love is called uh, parkour. And these giants can do parkour. And there are a couple different parkour associations. 
for dogs. Uh, the one I use is the International Park Horror Association, and they do have um, different levels and titles that these giants can accomplish, no problem. Um, I'm the crazy person who paddle boards with my giant dogs too. So I take my dog swimming and I put them on paddle boards and I love it. Like these guys are fun and well-rounded to do things with. Um, again, as long as they're functional, I mean, I love hiking with them and seeing them out and about and actually doing things. Uh, but at this point in time, confirmation is, is it, um, I have, done scent training with my dogs safira does shed hunting and we do barn hunt um my other two molasses did not do very good with barn hunt they did not like the rats so they would run from the rats versus (laughs) yep i could always safira was hard because she wouldn't give me the best indication. It was just a slight indication in her tail when there was a a rat there. The other two, you could tell when the rat was there because they were booking it across the arena. Like, hey, rat. But then they wouldn't come back and try to find the other ones. Um, But these guys have a great nose to them. So being able to see them out, maybe in some kind of field trials, that would be fun. Um, I would, I would just love to be able to see them be a little more well-rounded than what they are. And again, bringing in that functionality will, will be able to achieve that. Um, and you'll see it. There are American molasses who do, um, hog hunts, um, in Colorado. So we don't have hogs, so I don't really know a lot about that, but there are, um, working American molasses out there too. And I think uh, as a club, that would be great for us to be able to start getting that out there. Uh, but February, our club has been a club for one whole year. Um, and our key focus at this point in time has really just kind of been that health and function. But these guys can be awesome, well-rounded dogs uh, if given the opportunity. Yeah, I have been training dogs uh since i was eight years old um it first started in 4-h and i showed dogs in 4-h the first dog i ever like actually raised for true showing was when i was about 16 i had a siberian husky and with him i actually did professional training and we did all kinds of stuff worst dog in the world for a 16 year old kid to decide to try to train Huskies are not for the faint of heart. Right. Um, and there were many a classes I left crying, like, my dog hates me. <laughs> um, but uh, I have been training for a long time. Uh, as a kid, I trained horses more than I trained dogs. And I used to train wild Mustangs. Um, and I worked with a lady who would get her horses from the BLM. And we would train all her wild Mustangs to compete in different events. Um, and at that time I used clicker training with the wild Mustangs when I was struggling with something like they wouldn't put a halter on. We used to use the clicker to counter condition them to be able to get the halter on. Never once did I use it for a dog to think, I don't know why, until I moved to Northern Colorado. Um, when I was in my twenties, I moved to Northern Colorado cause I wanted to be a dog trainer. And the area I live in is incredibly small, and I knew I just wasn't going to 
get the information I needed and the training and the learning and everything like I wanted. Um, I wanted to be a big dog trainer. Um, and so I moved to Northern Colorado and I started apprenticing at a high-end boarding training daycare facility. And I started as just a kennel tech and learned from there. I became the boarding manager and then the operational manager and then um, even a trainer. Once I felt like I had a decent enough knowledge of training, I went to school. I went to the Karen Pryor Academy. And it's a pretty intense program uh you go to workshops you do online training and then you have to take videos and submit videos of you training your dog during exercises um it's a big long course that ends with three tests uh a book test where you can't miss any questions on it you have to teach a class and then you have to teach your dog what's called uh chain command and we had to do a 10 part chain command Basically, what that means is you do one behavior that leads into the next one, that leads into the next one, that leads into the next one, and it's kind of this beautiful flow. Whenever you see dogs um, performing at, like, Crufts doing doing the shows where it's the owner and the handler and it looks like a dance and a, a performance, it's pretty similar to that. And we had to do a cue off of a sound, so a doorbell ringing meant your dog sat, or, um, and then we had to do a visual, your dog saw something, and they did another command by just seeing the object, so we had to do this 10-part command in order to graduate from that, Um, through that, I became really fascinated with behavior, and I started working uh, a vet clinic where the veterinarian was really into behavior as well. I spent six years there just really learning and understanding canine behavior. Um, I've taken over 300 hours of additional schooling and training on top of my certifications just for kind of learning and understanding canine training and behavior. As for mentors, I'm a little bit different when it comes to mentors. I don't have these big, well-known mentors that I follow. And I like people I can actually talk to and meet with and be hands-on. I'm a hands-on learner. So I have friends that I've made in the training community And those people have been my mentors. Um, When I have questions, I know I can reach out to them and they're going to get back to me. They're not anybody big or famous. They're they're just real-life people doing the exact same thing I'm doing. And I'm constantly always changing and evolving, even with my training. Always learning new things, checking into different methods. For me, I'm pretty much a positive reinforcement trainer with clicker training um but i i say pretty much because i don't fit exactly a hundred percent positive reinforcement um and i've learned with these like the american molasses and the pit bulls that i own and other breeds that i own um sometimes positive reinforcement is just not enough you do have to be clear concise and firm and sometimes that always doesn't fit 100 percent into the positive reinforcement training um but i have 
I have other trainers that I, I constantly am working with and, and follow and talk to. And those are my mentors. For me, the, the second my puppy is eight weeks old, I'm out and about. Of course, being a veterinary technician, I understand that there are protocols for vaccinations that you should follow. So I'm a little more cautious. I don't go to dog parks and I don't go to um, heavily populated areas with dogs so that I'm concerned about picking up anything infectious or contagious. Um, But I do a lot of socializing. I'm pretty lucky because I am a dog trainer. I have people coming to me for classes and puppy playtime private lessons, board and trains. So I have a constant flow of socializing that I'm able to do with my dogs. Um, I really like to take puppies to Home Depot while they're puppies. It's just a lot of sights and sounds and people and things moving. Sometimes you see a dog there, sometimes you don't. But it's great socialization. Um, Again, socialization and training is key with this breed so getting them out while they're small uh, when you follow the vet protocol of don't take your puppy anywhere till they're 16 weeks it's really hard with dogs in general but especially the american molasses by 16 weeks you're looking at a 50 60 pound dog easy Mm -hmm. and a 50 60 pound dog who puts on the brakes good luck moving it you know it's going to be quite a show for somebody to watch so for me I really like my dogs right away to be out learning again being cautious and aware of not only like our surroundings for contagious um, or infectious diseases but also um, keeping it minimal because again joints and bones you don't want to make your puppy walk too much too fast that's not good on them uh so we go to home depot we go to murdoch's we go to tractor supply we might do a couple rounds around the smaller stores home depot we usually do one little round usually takes two hours because we're walking and then stopping and people are petting the puppies and we're talking to them and talking to them about the breed and then we move on a couple steps and then we're stopped again um but getting them out and getting them socialized that that is like the biggest thing I can tell people from a breeder and a behaviorist, making sure you have a well socialized dog, uh, taking them to, you know, when life is not COVID, you know, taking them to parades and events and, you know, they're having a big barbecue um, because Colorado is supposed to be a no meat day. March 30th, and they're having barbecues everywhere around Colorado. So I'm going to go to a bunch of different barbecues and take uh, the puppy with me so I can get him out and about and socialize him and probably take one of my adults as well to get Ty or Safira out and about for some socialization um, and keeping it. These guys need that constant socialization. You can't just socialize them as a puppy and then take them home and leave them home and think that they're going to be okay with anybody and everybody who walks in. These guys need that constant reassurance from the owners that 
people and different people are normal and it's okay and we can accept them. Their territorial instincts and their guardian instincts kick in. So keeping that flow of socialization constant. Um, Again, leash manners at like eight weeks because trying to drag a 60-pound dog is not fun. Um, At eight weeks, they're 20, 30 pounds as it is. So trying to drag a 20, 30-pound dog is not fun but it's a lot easier than 60 pounds the leash manners right away basic obedience sit down stay just having all of these commands pretty much ready and in your back pocket my dogs i have my children train them in different classes that i have uh depending on what level they are they go into a class and still work and still train Afira's 18, almost 19 months, and I still put her in dog classes. We're still continuing that training with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel with this breed, that is vital. They will take the upper hand if allowed to take the upper hand. If you treat them kind of just as a lab, things are not going to turn out like a lab. They will become bossy they will become pushy mm-hmm. and most of these dogs weigh more than a lot of people so having a, a 200 pound dog boss and push you around is not okay it's not acceptable so you have to be constant with them there is no gray it's always black and white with this breed so i i love training and i can't Press enough to people with this breed, train, socialize, train, socialize. Mm-hmm. It is really hard to gauge these dogs based off of my children because I, I've i been a dog trainer my children's whole lives. Mm-hmm. My kids are not your traditional children. My, my kids have a... a more of an understanding than most just pet owners. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to gauge with my own children. My sister has kids and they're not quite the same as mine. Um, and these guys do great. Now there is that prey drive in some of them. So the hooting, the hollering, the screaming, the yelling, it kicks in that working dog. And so that again is why you have to have that, socialization and that understanding that those things are okay um and you have to have a dog that you have under control because if not there can be an accident um like not going to sugarcoat it they're big and they can hurt you whether they mean to or not Mm -hmm. just based on size um so i say people with kids you need to do your homework. Um, you know, don't let your kids play rough with the puppies, even as puppies. Um, I never, ever, ever let my kids rough house and play rough with dogs ever. It's just not okay because then a full dog, grown dog can think they can rough house and play. And with these dogs, I don't rough house and play with these guys. I don't let my kids rough house and play with these guys because they're too big and accidents can easily happen. And again, without working prey drive in these this breed, um, they have that button. 
that kicks in and an accident can happen. So I just tell everybody, even if you have kids, you know, don't let your kids ride on the dogs. Like that's not okay. Don't let your kids rough house and play with the dogs. That's not okay. Treat these guys like the giants that they are and treat them to understand something smaller than them. They need to be gentle with my dogs play with my toy Australian shepherds. Um, my mom has a three pound Yorkie that her molasses play with, but we've made clear to them how to play soft Mm -hmm. and they know the word play soft. They understand that that means they have to be more careful. They have to be more gentle. Um, that's an important thing with these dogs. So with children, they're great to a point. If they are correctly socialized and they are correctly trained and you set those clear, firm boundaries. My 10-year-old, Nessie is my 10-year-old's service animal. And Nessie is very intuitive. When Savannah is going to have a a panic attack or an anxiety attack, Nessie knows. And she just comes and she puts herself on Savannah. Now, Nessie's 140 pounds. Savannah's 60 pounds. Mm -hmm. It's not like she just collapses on her. Nessie knows to be soft and gentle with Savannah. And she just comes and she softly places minimal weight on Savannah but enough that it helps Savannah feel safe and secure and helps her with her anxiety. Um, My dogs know that they have to be soft. Um, These guys, if not trained, they're just going to bulldoze you. So again, training, whether it's through a trainer or just those clear, concise boundaries have to, have to, have to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of things that I sound like a broke record on when it comes to the health, the function, and the training of these dogs. Uh, Because incidents have happened, and I don't want to see any other incidents happen. Oh, that is another good question. I am back and forth on that as well. With the Aussies that I raised, like eight weeks I felt like was perfect. With these giants... um, I kind of wonder if it shouldn't be 12 weeks Mm -hmm. because they are, again, a little bit slower at maturing. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I do question if I should not even personally not allow puppies to leave until 12 weeks. Um, I think it also depends on the breeder. If you have a breeder who's out there working with those dogs during that time, that's awesome. But if you have a breeder who's just not being involved, not participating with the puppies, at that point in time, at least being in a home where they're receiving that one-on-one socialization and time is better than getting nothing at all. So the long-term goal of the American Molasses Kennel Club is to be an active Um, functioning kennel club similar to any other breed specific clubs parent clubs Mm -hmm. Um, you know your English Mastiffs your Neos every breed has a parent club and within your parent clubs you specifically work on understanding the breed understanding the breed health characteristics 
you know, doing specific events that are only for the breed. That is our ultimate goal. Um, we have already started to do some health studies as a kennel club for the American Molossus because we know that this heart condition is there. Um, my one female, Nessie, we're using her as a test subject to kind of learn about the DCM1 in the American Molossus. So Nessie's gone to a cardiologist in Denver, and we started her first um, full cardio workup and evaluation. We will be going every single year for the rest of her life to monitor and watch her heart for any changes within um within her and if it's at all dcm1 related we would all love to be able to truly understand more health and genetics behind the american molasses but this is going to be political kind of and i apologize but when there was the separation in the branch between the community there has been a lot of shunning Mm -hmm. so the people that are in this club we're really trying to do right by the breed like we're really trying to understand the genetics but there's no transparency coming from any other direction so we're only able to talk amongst ourselves about what we see and what we know but we're not getting the breed as a whole so we're we're in a standstill. Every day we learn new things. I learned new things yesterday. I had two people who used to not talk to me because of the public backlash I've received from other breeders in the community. Um, they weren't talking to me. Then when it came time for assistance and resources, the doors got shut on them. So they came and they talked to me for some help about you know, temperament and health stuff. And so every day I kind of learn a little bit more and I share it with everybody within our club. But the lack of transparency is making it hard. But I would really love to be able to communicate and understand the breed because that's the only way anything is ever going to get done. And so as a kennel club, that's our hope, but it's real slow going. Uh, There's only a couple of us, and only three of all of us breeders have actually had a litter of puppies, and one has had two, one has had one, and I have had one. So that's not many puppies out there, and they're all still pretty young. So health research is not going very far at this point in time, but I would love to be all of us would love for the kennel to be what it's supposed to be and us to be able to dedicate funding towards research for the breed. Um, when it comes to known genetic temperament issues, we would love to be able to hold educational events for the public. Love to have a breed, um, a breed specialty show so that we can get the dogs out and seen out in public and how they show and move and do things. Um, as a breeder, pretty much a lot of my goals are the same for that. I have always raised dogs 
where they went to homes and I'm family with those homes still. Um, I've got clients that are some of my best friends now because we made friendships in selling a puppy. Mm-hmm. That's why I do what I do. I don't breed to make money because are you kidding me? Like as a breeder, anybody who's a breeder knows money is not made when you do it right. Um, so lasting relationships, bringing happiness to people because they have an amazing dog that they got what they wanted. That's what I want for my program. But to do that, I have to understand the health, the functionality, the temperaments, the traits behind these dogs. And so that's where a lot of my program goes back to the American Molasses Kennel and just trying to help the breed in general. We really have to focus on understanding the breed to be able to be a proud breeder of the breed. You know, people being able to just openly talk about what they see in their dogs is important. Um, Luckily for us, both of those breeds have been around for so long. You can find all kinds of educational information on them, Mm -hmm. seminars, webinars, um, research programs that specifically work with the Mastiffs for like cystinitis and neos with stuff so at least there's a lot of research there so that's awesome to be able to go back to their research and see how things are being handled within each different breed the the more important thing at this point in time is people working and communicating openly together about the American molasses so we can start to be able to deliver the same kind of information. Mm-hmm. So I know that there have been breeders who have talked about it, but that's all that it's been is mm-hmm. kind of a whisper in the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, honestly, I wonder if not finding a breed that, carries the exact same traits as the other two would be good to kind of counterbalance that. Um, But a lot of the giant breeds have a lot of similar health issues. Right. Yeah, no, and I I feel the same way. I don't want to scare anybody off from the breed, but you have to be transparent. Like. In any breed, in any dog, every dog has their issues. Not not one breed is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be able to truly be transparent with people and talk to people openly about what they're getting. The American Alasis is not for everybody. It's just not. Mm-hmm. And people have to understand that. And... You know, if you're selling a first-time dog owner in American Molasses, you know there's going to be problems. Just It's just the breed. And that's why they have categories for dogs. Okay, this is a good first-time dog. Um, this is a great uh, dog for somebody who has experience. Or this is a dog who is only for somebody who knows what they're doing. I mean, there are bre- every dog has a category. And these guys definitely fit into the... You, 
you got to have a little bit of a clue what you're doing in order to own one of these dogs. Mm -hmm. So same thing, not trying to scare anybody off, but transparency needs to be key and people need to understand what they're getting themselves into. Um, Quite truthful and quite honest, there was so minimal information when I got involved. Um, I wish I would have known half of the stuff I know now. Uh, Would I still have changed the breed? Maybe. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love my dogs. I really do. But it's it's hard to be a breeder and do things right with the lack of information. As a pet and doing these guys just as a pet, heck yeah, I would do it all day long. As a breeder, it is an incredible challenge. It is It is trying. It is challenging. And it takes a lot out of you to try to figure it out, work it out, and then deal with the politics that has come from all of it i really love european dobermans yeah i I really have a a, a soft spot in my heart for european dobermans um there's just something about them yeah like uh, definitely how about a small dog 25 pounds or under this is going to sound funny. I would totally have a Papillon only because they are like ridiculously smart and incredibly athletic. And again, I love sports, dog sports. And out of all of the little dogs, Papillons seem to be the most athletic, uh, fun little, little dog. They're definitely probably like the underdog most people don't think about. Yeah. But when it comes to traits and characteristics, um, they are incredibly smart, willing dogs. I have never trained one or worked with one, but I I have trainer friends that now have them. And the things that they accomplish with their little papillon, I'm like, man, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Any uh, last words that you want to convey that you think I, we haven't covered? Always research into anything that you want to get into. Even with the American Molasses, I, I know there's not a lot out there. And even for somebody like me, there's not a lot out there. But don't fall in love with the fantasy behind the breed really truly reach out and research and do the things that you would do with any other breed before getting yourself involved. Um, it's just, it's just always important to know what you're, you're doing. And I fell in love with the fantasy and the idea behind the story and I bought into it but I wish I would have known more. Mm-hmm. So always just research and don't, don't take this whole podcast as a, don't do the breed. They're awesome. I love them. I wouldn't trade them for the world, but just make sure you know and you understand what you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. Out of the ashes, we will rise. Fighting, we can see a phoenix rise.